Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Well, hello, Doxedo Hatfield. Uh, whether you are then in your community group this morning or whether you are feeling a bit sick and you're at home, can I ask all of us to open up our Bibles together to the New Testament book of Romans chapter 8. So the letter to the Romans chapter 8 verse 31. So just the other day, a couple of weeks ago, our family went and for the first time we hiked up the hill at the Fairy Glen Nature Reserve and it was quite a comical moment because my eldest, Abigail, she's seven years old, about three quarters of the way up, she's quite a melancholic personality. She really experiences things in an intense way. And she just started crying. She said, I don't want to do this anymore. And in that moment, her brother, who's five years old, he turns around and he says, I've got shorter legs than you and I'm not even crying in this moment. So high emotions to handle in a moment like that. But when we pushed through and we finally got to the top of that hill, it was such an incredible experience. The, the vista, just the, the view of the surrounding area was something to behold. And all the emotions just dissipated and everyone was happy. And the reason is because in that moment, you could so clearly see the understanding that it brought to be on top of that hill was truly amazing. And I want to say, friends, in exactly the same way, uh, over the ages, for many millennia now, Christians, pastors, theologians, Bible teachers have all agreed that if the Bible were ever to have a hilltop, a high place, it would be the book of Romans. And the highest peak in that book undoubtedly is Romans chapter 8. Martin Luther, the great reformer, 500 years ago, he famously said that Romans chapter 8 is the clearest gospel of all. Uh, gospel, that's that churchy word we often use that simply means good news. It's the clearest picture of the good news of Jesus Christ. There's life and death and resurrection that we have probably in the Bible. And so when we hike up this hill called Romans 8, when we get to the top, the clarity of understanding of who God is, what he's done, and his promises over our lives as Christians is so mind-blowing. And that's exactly what we want to do in this season. And I don't think it's an accident that this is the case. Uh, as we lead up to Easter for the next four weeks, we want to do a series called Death to Life. where We are going to look exactly at this truth. Uh, what is it that God has for us in a season where there's pandemonium and there's, there's confusion, there's so much uh, just anger and frustration in our world. It's really a time of being shaken. In this season, we want to say, God, what does it look like? for us to hike up the good news gospel. And hike up we will. Um, just to challenge our thinking, um, in 2005, on the morning of May 14th, uh, a Eurocopter AS-530 helicopter touched down on the highest peak in the world, Mount Everest. And this journey that usually is so perilous, it's so heartbreaking. Every step of that two-month journey you usually have to take to get to the top uh, peak in our world, our planet, uh, for the first time in human history, we could get into some you know, flying machine and literally just touch down on this mountaintop. And though I think the view must have been incredible, I can only imagine the difference between flying and just touching down and actually having to hike up that two-month journey. Every single step is blood, sweat, and tears. And can you imagine what the view is like then? 
And in the same way, friends, we want to not just skim this book or this chapter. We don't just want to quickly touch down, keep it at arm's length. So I'm not going to invest my heart and soul. I'm going to be callous and cold toward the Bible in this season. No, we want to say we want to bring the fullness of some of the confusion, the anger, the frustration of our hearts. We want to bring it to bear upon this book. We want to hike up, take every single step together. And I know that as we get to the top, it will be incredibly important to where we are as a church Um, you know so often people would say you know all roads lead to Rome but I think in this season all roads are leading to Romans chapter 8 and I think the goal is so simple Uh, Paul is doing a whole bunch of things in this book but one of the primary things he's doing in this chapter is he is trying to move us from emotional thinking where our emotions that are getting tossed to and fro um that leads us astray at times. He wants to lead us away from that also circumstantial thinking where our circumstances, um, you know, as those things ebb and flow, as life sometimes is easy, sometimes it's incredibly tough. He wants us to move us from those two realities to something greater called gospel thinking. How can we have good news thinking in the season, be anchored to, be fastened to, be built upon the good news of Jesus in this season? I love how J.I. Packer puts it when he speaks about Romans 8. He says, here then, as we come to the summit, are Christians troubled by the memory of a moral lapse. Christians whose integrity has lost them a friend or a job. Christian parents whose children are abandoning them. Christians facing serious problems of health or physical limitation. Christians made to feel like outsiders at home or at work because of their faith. Christians burdened by the death of someone they feel should have lived. Or by the continued life of a suffering child. Christians who feel God cannot care for them and many more. It is like this in the season globally as individuals, as a church, that we come to this book. And in the Easter season, we are saying, what does it mean to rise above that and see the vista, the full truth of the good news gospel of Jesus? What he has done. So let's read together this morning. We're going to read this passage every week of the next four weeks as we bring our hearts to bear upon this truth. So Romans 8 verse 31, let's read together. Paul says, what then are we to say about these things? In other words, the things he's been writing about, the gospel, the good news for the last eight chapters. He says, if God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? How or who then can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more, he has been raised. He's also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long, who are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is so powerful. 
And I want us to see as we will be working through this passage week in, week out, I want us to adopt as the anchor verse in this greater passage, verse 37, 38, and 39, where Paul says this. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And I think people have used this verse in so many different settings, sometimes a bit flippantly or maybe a bit shallow. You know, we just, we conquerors because we, we think positively. You know, we drink our protein shakes in the morning. We say, our, you know, faith statements in the mirror. We just keep our head up and that's fine. Those things are fine. But I think there's a deeper truth here. Christians are not just really positive people. They're not just people who are constantly bearing forward emotionally. No, Paul says there's something more powerful at work here. We can be more than conquerors how when we come to a deep understanding as he says that he loved us not that we loved God first but that God loved us in Christ Jesus and so Paul says this is so key in verse 38 he says I am persuaded maybe your translation would say convinced I am persuaded that neither death nor life none of these things can separate me from the love of of Christ, from the love of God that is in Christ. It's not just a general love, not just a love there up in the clouds. It's a love that we find only in Christ Jesus. When I have submitted my heart, my life, my everything to Jesus through faith as Lord and Savior, Savior and King, He says nothing can separate me from the love of God. And the beautiful thing about that is then we understand what is a conquering Christian life. It's someone who truly understands, who grows in their understanding of the fact that God loves us in Christ Jesus. What he has done in Christ, no one can remove, no one can challenge, no one can change. And then as we almost go back into this passage over the next four weeks, then we understand that Paul says, whether it's the reality of opposition, these four questions that he asks, whether it's the sting of accusation, whether it's the feelings of condemnation, or whether it's sometimes that sense of separation that we can get, none of those things can ever change the love of God in Christ Jesus. No, in this Easter time, we are reminded not of our performance, not of the things that we have done, not of our track record, but of Jesus's, the work that he has done. When he said it's finished, he meant it. We are reminded of the finished work of Christ. Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday is a moment to say, Jesus, not what we can do, but what you have done. It's death to life in Christ forever. So in the time that we have today, let's look at this first statement, this question that Paul makes. In a more than conquering Christian life, what happens when we face the reality of opposition? That's the first question that he asks. He says in verse 31, what do I know what to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but he offered him up for us all. How will he then not also with him grant us everything? See, Paul is saying when the circumstances of life, when opposition from all sides, maybe it is just the brokenness of the world. Maybe it's my emotions. Maybe it's the strategies and the schemes of the enemy. When opposition is coming in from all sides in my life, I can feel so frustrated. I can feel so defeated. 
But he says in that moment when it's a reality that we are facing opposition, can any person in the global community at this point not say that we are facing such opposition as individuals, as families, as a church, as businesses, economically, emotionally, spiritually, opposition is such a reality in this moment. But Paul says it's when that happens that I can know that God has already proven his love for us in Christ. That's the truth. That's the foundation that we live from. And I think that that idea of foundation is one that we're going to come back to often. I, I love this picture and I often come back to the thought of uh, the, a building's foundations. And I think very often of the Leaning Tower of Pisa in Italy. And this 800-year-old building that's more than 50 meters tall, and yet it's got a foundation of less than 5 meters in depth. And so, of course, it's no surprise then that over these many years, it's tilted more and more and more into, I guess, oblivion. And I, and I want to contrast that. I think of the world-famous architect Frank Lloyd Wright, who in the early 1900s, he was asked to design the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo. And it's one of the most earthquake-prone cities in the world. What a task. And he worked hard at this new idea, this, this floated foundation. And not two months after this hotel opens, one of the worst earthquakes in more than 50 years hits that city. And what happens? Many buildings are shaken, are broken apart. But this hotel stands tall because its foundation was Secure. God is inviting us in a season where opposition is such a reality to step forward and be found on the foundation of Jesus. So maybe we can ask just three important questions of our text this morning. Just in a couple of minutes, as we read into this text, I think we should be asking, firstly, who is this God that is for us? Romans 8.31 says, what then are we to say about these things if... God is for us. Who is against us? If God. He says this God is a God of such depth of character. We cannot even fathom it. God invites us to know him. Not in a superficial way, but to genuinely know him. Who is this God? What is the depth and the truth and the, the wisdom, the riches of his character, of who he is. I love this moment in Exodus 34 verse uh, 6 where God is about to pass before Moses. And he says he wants to reveal something of who he is to him. And so what does he do? He speaks his name and he says, I'm the Lord. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. I'm slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. This is a God like we cannot understand. He's not some abusive father, but he's a self-sacrificing, merciful dad. He's not this bad-tempered old man in the sky waiting to fry people at a moment's notice. No, it says he is a holy God, no doubt, but slow to anger. He's not a friend or a love interest who at the first sign of trouble just abandons you. Yes, they swiped right a week ago, but now that things are getting difficult, they're just abandoning you once again. No, he's, he is this unfailing force of love, truth, and faithfulness. 
And he invites us to know him, not just to know about him. There's such a massive difference. He says, come and know me in this season. I'll never forget many years ago, uh, in my early years in the church, I had this, uh, this issue via one of my friends. See, my friend had picked up an issue with one of the leaders in the church. They had a bit of a, a disagreement. And I don't know if you've had this in life, but often when your friend has an issue with someone, that issue becomes your issue. And now suddenly this person, if your friend constantly is you know, speaking about them, saying, you know, they are so and so and so, before you realize that your heart is saying, yes, they are so and so and so. And this was my issue with this person. And so what happens, I think the providence of God is that we go on an outreach to Mozambique and it's 3,000 kilometers there and back and just think, wonder with me in whose car I'm sitting for that whole trip right next to him as he's driving, I'm sitting next to this leader and this person that I didn't know, I knew of him in the church but I didn't know him, all of that so and so and so in my heart over 3,000 kilometers, it just changes, it melts away because I get to know this person. And that's such a massive thing. God invites us and he says, I don't want you just to know of me. In a season where you are being pounded with opposition, where things are so difficult that you wouldn't feel I have this kind of far off, uh, you know, religious faith that, you know, it's just, it's the faith of my parents. It's the faith of many years ago. It's the faith of this far off God out there somewhere. No, he says, I want you to know me. God is not trying to offer us protection from afar. No, he comes and he stands right in front of us and he takes the full bear of our sin and death and brokenness and he pours out blessing and love and life over us. How do I know that? We only need to look at the cross of Christ. See, this God, who is this God? He is a good, merciful, truthful, holy God. But secondly, a question we should definitely then ask is if that's the God who is for us, what kind of relationship has he established with us? Because it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? You know, in our day and age, in 2020, everything is contractual. You need a contract for anything. If you want to do business, if you want to take out a cell phone, um, you know, if you want to go and buy a whole bunch of Krispy Kreme donuts with a friend, you probably need a contract just to settle that issue. And contracts are good because they make sure that when things do go wrong, that we can make sure who is going to be, um, you know, who's going to take the rap for what. And that's good. When things go wrong in life, that's necessary. But we so often think then, That the kind of relationship that God has established with us is a contractual one. And so if I can't keep up the performance, if I can't do good, if I can't be this great person of moral standing and just perform before God, then he's just going to cast me out and he's going to abandon me because I couldn't keep up my end of the contract. You know, many years ago, Shay and I, this was probably one of the lowest moments in our, in our marriage up to that point. We'd been married for a very short season in our first year of being married and my parents had just gone through this, this financial disaster. And so we didn't have a place to stay anymore. And uh, a good Samaritan couple in our church, they invited us to say, listen, come and stay next to our house. We have this flat and I want you to come and stay there for free. But I was so proud. I said, no, we're going to pay and you know, we'll make it work. And very soon, a couple of months into it, we were floundering financially. We couldn't make it work. 
And so eventually it got to the place where we started missing some of these payments and the shame that I felt, it was so great. Why? Because we had not come up with our side of the bargain, of the contract. I felt horrible. But I want you to contrast that thought with how God sees us. What's the kind of relationship that God has established with us? Because he does not have a contractual relationship, but a covenantal relationship. The Bible uses this fancy word called covenant. And whereas a contract is something that two people, both parties have to uphold their end of the bargain. Covenant, especially here in God's case, means that one member upholds the, the relationship as it were. And that is God. He is the one in covenant relationship that upholds, that strengthens, that keeps us. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 49 of God. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child or lack compassion for the child of a woman? Can a woman, can a mom just toss away, just throw away her own child? And God says, yeah, even if these, even if they forget, even if that happens, a mom can be so callous. He says, yet I will never forget you. That is the kind of relationship, covenant relationship that God has made with us in Jesus. He is for us. He is on our behalf. He's not that friend who stands behind you when, you, when you're in trouble. Someone wants to punch you and he's standing behind you saying, you know, go for it. I'm behind you. I will support you. No, God steps in right in front of us, right with us. And he fights on our behalf. He gives of himself. Again, how do I know that? In the season of Easter, we have to connect this to this moment where God, the transcendent God, steps into history, into this world. It's a historical reality 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus. And listen to this, Matthew 26, 26. Jesus is about to use communion, the, the wine and the bread with his disciples. And he says this, he says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take it and eat it. This is my body, the body of the God-man, Jesus, is going to be broken for us. And he says, then he took a cup and after giving thanks for it, he gave it to them and he said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. This God is a God who comes to us in a relationship literally bound by his own body and blood. This is such good news. When opposition comes, we can stand on the vista of knowing that this God will not abandon us. And finally, I think a question that needs to be asked is, if that's true, if this is the God, and if this is the kind of relationship that He has with us, then truly, what weight can our opposition ever truly possess? How weighty can it ever truly be, even in a season like this, where no one would deny that opposition is so in your face? It begs the question, how weighty is it compared to God? Paul says, if God is for us, who? Who can be against us? It's almost like he's got this defiant posture before all opposition. And he's just saying, who can be against us if this God with this relationship is for us? It almost reminds me of the opening of this movie, Troy where these two uh, you know, armies are about to face off. And they decide instead of going to battle, we're going to choose our two 
most heavy hitters, and they're going to fight it out. Whoever wins, they will be the victors. And so Brad Pitt's character, Achilles, he's put forward to fight against this monstrous mountain of a man. And with literally one swipe of his blade, he downs this massive individual and he steps forward and he stands in front of thousands of other men and he screams out and he says, is there no one else? Is there no one else? You know what the reply is in that moment? Silence. Because they have already put their most heavy weight on the scale and he's been found wanting. So no, there is no one Else, friends, in this season, when everything financially, emotionally, economically, spiritually, when we are feeling opposed from every single side as a country, as a people, as a church, in your family, maybe in your marriage, in your business, your income, when everything is pressing in on us, we can literally, with Paul, stand in front of all of that and say, Is there nothing else? Because if this God is for me, if the very worst that can happen to me in death is not even my end, then what else is there? And that's not a, a, light, a light-hearted, you know, as we put the, the difficult opposition on the scale. We're not saying with a light heart, no, it's fine. Everything's okay. We're just sticking our head in the sand. No, we can do this truly. We can put with full force all of the heaviness and opposition of the season on the scale, and then put God on the other side. I, I think of a lady called Kate Bowler. She writes for the New York Times. And she's a Christian whose life was just going exactly the way that she wanted it to go until she was diagnosed with stage four cancer as a young mom. And this article is so heart-wrenching because in a moment of the article, she puts on the scale the full weight of opposition in her life. And she writes, she says, Cancer has kicked down the walls of my life. I cannot be certain if I will walk my son to his elementary school someday or subject his love interest to cheerful scrutiny. I've surrendered my favorite beliefs about having it all, managing work-life balance and maximizing my potential. I cannot help but, be remi- but remind my best friend that if my husband remarries, everyone will need to simmer down and, and, and talking about how special I was in front of her. Cancer requires that I stumble around in the debris of dreams that I thought I was entitled to. That's heavy. She's laying the full weight of opposition on the scale and it feels so heavy. But it's beautiful as this article finishes up and she starts putting the love and the truth and the holiness and the relationship of a God who is for us on the scale. It's marvelous. We can do that because in that moment we join Paul when he says, no, in all these things and everything we're facing at the moment, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing created will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then, whether it's the reality of opposition, whether it's the sting of accusation, whether it's those feelings of condemnation or whether it's the sense that I sometimes get of separation, none of that 
will be able to separate me from what God has done in Christ Jesus. No, in Easter, it's not what I can do, but what he has done. It's his performance. It's his accomplishments. It's his life, death, and resurrection. It's death to life in Christ forever. So let's pray together. Jesus, this morning, I pray for us as individuals and as a church. God, I pray for our country. I pray for for many, many people globally facing such opposition. And I pray in this moment, God, may we find a foundation that is unshakable in the good news of Jesus Christ. God, may everything be put on the scale and may it be found wanting compared to you, we pray. We find ourselves in you. We trust in you. We hope in you. We are persuaded, God, by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.